0: Pastor Dwight said we are entering back into Matthew chapter 5 and we are continuing where we left off last week as uh, Pastor Dwight uh, took us through uh, almost to the end of chapter 5 there. It was a really good word the last couple of weeks that Pastor Dwight brought and uh, so I'm really thankful for that and I'm very thankful uh, for what the Lord wants to say today. Um, it's amazing how sometimes when you're preaching through a, uh, a series through Scripture that just the right passage lands on just the right day, isn't it? Because uh, as, I, as we were approaching Easter, I realized, wow, we're going to be right in verse 43 for Easter, and it's a passage on loving your enemies. And ha- there has never been a greater display of loving your enemies than the display of Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, it's perfect, and here we are. So uh, we're going to jump into this, but I want to give you the title of the message today because the title is Power for Life. We are in our series called Diffusers of Grace because we believe that God wants us to be diffusing the flavor, the essence of Jesus Christ into the world. And that's why he begins this Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and with the call to be salt and light. We talked about how the Beatitudes were actually Jesus describing what salt tastes like and what, what light looks like in the world. He was describing the attributes of his own aroma and his own flavor in the world. And I described to you how uh, I have this habit of having these essential oil diffusers around my house. Anybody else give me an amen with that? I mean, I know I got some other essential oil diffusers around here. I love the way that stuff smells. And as someone who grew up struggling with asthma and some of those issues, um, eucalyptus oil is my best friend. Okay, so, uh, But, but I, I love how when you put that aroma, that fragrance inside a diffuser, or it just releases it into the air and it's just beautiful how it fills a room. And God has called us to be like that in the world. His aroma, His flavor. He's infused us with this power. We have the Holy Spirit and now we are called by Christ to carry that into the world. And so today, this passage is really, really important for us in that. We're just continuing. He's building on this idea. And so all the things that we've been saying Now we get to this, verse 43. I want to read this, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of the Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those that love you, what reward will you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. Can we just give God a praise for his word this morning? Lord, we thank you. And, Father, we thank you that you gave us the written word in Scripture. We thank you for the apostles and the prophets. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit gave us these words through their hands. And, Father, we know that their intent is that we would learn to obey the the true heart of the gospel, that we would be obedient to your word, that we would be like Christ. So help us, Lord. We cannot do this. In our own strength so we know we need your help this morning help us to live out the word that you're going to that you're going to bring to us this morning we pray this in jesus name amen so this this quote that jesus took you shall love your neighbors it's actually a direct quote out of leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 and here's what it says now you'll notice That uh, Jesus is quoting a pharisaical teaching which is taking something from Scripture and twisting it. We're going to see that right off the bat. How many false teachings start out as something good? Right? All of them, just about. I mean, they all, like even in the garden, the devil said to Adam and Eve, hey, God didn't really say this, right? There's always that element of there's a little truth behind the lie. So here's the truth. Leviticus 19 verse 18. You shall not take vengeance Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That was his command to the people. But somehow that had been twisted and morphed over the years, so we only have to love people who are like us. That's why Jesus had to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Right? Because he had to highlight that it's not just people like you. It's not just your own flesh and blood. People who have the same skin color as you. People from the same political party. People from the same socioeconomic status. People who believe and think the same way as you. No, your neighbor is actually even the person who's completely different than you. It's just the other person who you happen to come in contact with. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? More than what the Pharisees were teaching. They were pretty much teaching, well, as long as you just love... The good guys, the Jewish nation—that's really all we have to do. And and the traitors, we don't have to love them either. I mean, listen to the examples he uses here. You know, he 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 says, "Hey, you know, don't even the tax collectors do this? The tax collectors were considered some like the worst possible citizens of the nation. They were traitors because they had gone to the Romans and they were they were working for the oppressors to oppress the people." They were were Jewish nationals who worked for the Romans to oppress their own people. They were not considered good. I mean, you think you don't like the tax man. They really didn't like the tax man. So the the teaching of the Pharisees here was at best a misinterpretation of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. At worst, it was a malicious false teaching. And while God intended, he, he intended to communicate here, that we were to love our neighbors, he never anywhere in all the scriptures tells us to hate our enemy. That was never in the Bible. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, this is what the culture is saying. Now, what I find so interesting is about that is that that idea wasn't really new then, and it actually isn't really old today because it's still very well in force in our world. The world's value that Jesus is highlighting here is... is that we should pretty much just take care of ourselves and those who are like us and those who we like, and we just cancel all the haters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that word's getting thrown around everywhere right now. Well, we're just going to cancel him. We don't like that guy over here or this girl over here. You know, Gina Carano played Cara Dune, the coolest character in the new Star Wars series. She's canceled because she likes conservatives. I, I mean, that's the world we live in. And by the way, it's not just liberals doing the canceling. Conservatives are equal opportunity cancelers. Think about the way that a lot of Christians treated President Obama and, and even now are treating President Biden, and, and we're called to pray for these guys. And so oftentimes we're looking at these people in power saying, well, they're not like us. We, we don't want anything to do with them. We cancel them. That's not biblical either. It's easy for us to look at the other side and say, look what they're doing. But God wants us to look inside. because do you know why the culture is unhealthy? It's, it's not because sinners are unhealthy. That's already true. It's because the church is unhealthy why the culture is unhealthy. We are the salt and light. And Jesus says, if salt loses its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? What good is light if you put it under a basket where no one can see? We are the light. Our job is is to be broken out of this. Now, here's what I want to say. The power of the resurrection is the power to break out of the worldly norms and to live as if the kingdom realities are true. If the world's value is just take care of people who are like you, love people who are like you, the kingdom value is give love and mercy to even your worst enemy. The resurrection of Jesus is about new life. The, resurrected, the the risen Christ empowers us not only to embrace new life intellectually. We can all get it here, can't we? Anybody can say, yeah, I believe Jesus lived and that he died and that he rose. Anybody can say that in their head. But God is not only calling us to embrace a new paradigm of thinking. He's calling us to embrace a new paradigm of living. We are called to live life in this new reality. The kingdom of God is already here. We've said this, I I mentioned a few weeks ago, Leo Tolstoy's classic book, The Kingdom of God is Within You, where he put forth a theory of government based upon the kingdom of God being inside of us because we have the Holy Spirit, because Christ died and our sins are obliterated in him, and that we have new life in him through his resurrection. And if the kingdom is present in us, then we have power to live a new way. So I want to give you four things the gospel, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, four things the resurrection empowers us to do. And that that first thing that it gives us is power to love hard people. And here he says right here in verses 43 through 44. it's, it's, It's pretty clear, right? He says, you've heard it said, love your enemy and Uh, Sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the world says. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's what Jesus is showing us an example of. He's showing us an example of loving hard people. The cross is the greatest example we have of someone loving an enemy relentlessly. And that enemy, by the way, sometimes we can forget about that, but that enemy was me. And that enemy was you. How do I know that? Well, let's just listen to a little bit from the Apostle Paul as he he sort of expands on that idea in Romans chapter 5. And and let's just look at verses 6 and 7 to start with. But he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still helpless, while we couldn't do anything for ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul goes on to say, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. He said, hey, there's a slim chance that you would even die for even a good person, but you weren't even a good person and Jesus died for you. Do you believe that? You know, I think one thing that keeps a lot of people from actually approaching the risen Jesus is because there's a lot of people out there who just think they're just good enough that they don't need his blood. But the Bible tells us that every one of us was dead in our sins and trespasses. There's not a single one who was righteous in and of ourselves. Because just like our first father, Adam, in the garden, rebelled against God and walked away, we've just followed in his path. And one impurity is enough to taint us entirely. I, I think I told the story one time, but I'm going to tell it again. I... I, I we had this experience, Stacy and I were, we went to the Civic Center. Uh, someone bought us tickets to spam a lot. Oh man, that was great. That was a good time. I mean, that was probably the, that was the best trip to the Civic Center I ever had. Um, I, anybody else a Monty Python fan? Okay. If you can get that British humor, you get where I'm at on this. It was a good time. Um, and, uh, but, but we, while we were driving there, somebody sideswiped us on the highway. It was really weird. It was kind of icy. We weren't going to miss spam a lot, you know? And, uh, and, and, we, and, and this was this guy, you know, we pulled over and he's, he's just begging us. I don't have insurance and I probably should have called the cops. But I actually really felt the Lord put on my heart that this guy needs mercy. And that was a really hard thing for me to do because uh, my car was scratched, and I and it was a really pretty car too. And um, and I, I but I realized like I had a choice to make in that moment. I could obey the Lord or I could I could get justice. But in this moment, I feel like the Lord was telling me to extend mercy to this guy, and so we did. And and do you know who had to pay for the repair on that car? I did. I had to pay for it out of my own pocket uh, because I mean I could have gone after that guy and made him pay for it you know um but but that the the lord had given me that direction so i had to receive that that burden into myself and that is what christ has done for us like once that guy hit my car there was no undoing it and that's that's what i want to highlight here once we sin once adam sinned there was no undoing it all the rest of humanity was doomed and all of us were just falling in line with him But Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved from wrath? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Think about that for a minute. Paul says, you think the cross was amazing, Because our sins are forgiven in the cross. The empty tomb means restoration to sonship with the Father. The cross means that we're forgiven. The empty tomb means that we're alive. Do you understand why we have to have both? If you have the cross without the empty tomb, you just have another dead fake Messiah. But because you have an empty tomb following a cross, you have a living Messiah who's alive and everything he ever said is true. It's power for a new life because it's real. And not only that, Paul says in verse 11, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received this reconciliation. This reconciliation that you and I have received if we're in Christ I want to make that point of distinction because there may be some here or watching online right now who have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior let me tell you that you don't have that reconciliation yet but 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 that's not all the news I have for you because today Christ is calling you to receive reconciliation in him Jesus didn't die for nothing he died for you he died for me and he rose from the dead so that we can have life but we got to trust in him. we got to stop trying to save ourselves and trying to build the life that we always dreamed. we got to release all of that. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we've got we to release the life that we thought we wanted and we got to go after the life God has for us. And what we're going to find in the middle of that is that the life God has for us is actually the one that we dreamed about. It's the one we were created for. What other story... Though, Think about this. What other story in history does a king step up for the treasonous rebel? And while the executioner has his axe and he's grinding it and he's preparing to cut the head off of this treasonous rebel, and the king steps up to the executioner and says, I, I'm going to take it for him. He's in rebellion against my kingdom, but I love this the citizen of my land, and I'm going to take it for him. It's that, ridiculous to us. It makes no sense. And yet that's exactly what Christ has done for us. And so here's the thing. If Christ can do it, if Christ can love me, then I can love people who are difficult too. Can I tell you, there is not a single person in this world who will ever offend you to the level that you've offended Christ. And he gave his life for you. What level is God calling you to be inconvenient so that someone else can have life? The power of the resurrection is the power to love hard people. And we are most like the world when we show love only to those who are like us, but we are most like Jesus when we love those who hate us. Our political opponents when we actually wish them well, have goodwill towards them, and I'm not talking about just like lip service, but legitimately loving them. When I'm a conservative and I look at President Biden and I say, "Look, I just love the guy. I just want good things for him," and I'm just, I, I like, I literally, I legitimately pray, and I'm able to say, "I want him to do well. I want him to thrive." Doesn't mean I agree with everything. Doesn't mean I, I that, that, that that I don't think that some policies are crazy. I'm ridiculous. But I'm going to love people because Jesus loves me. And he loved me when I was his worst enemy. So it's a way of life that is transformed by the power of the resurrection. The second thing the resurrection empowers us to do, it gives us power to do good to those who don't deserve it. Look at verse 45. It says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So all those things that we just read about being kind to people who are really not very nice people. He says, if you do that, you're going to be children of your Father in heaven. What does he mean by that? He says, you're going to resemble daddy. Because that's how daddy treats people. Now here's, here's, here's his example. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's not forget this is coming directly from Jesus, right? The words are in red here, okay? this, this, These are the words of Christ as recorded by the apostle. Jesus said to us, this is what the Father is like. Nobody knew better than him. And the sun rose today over Oklahoma City, and it rose over the good ho- you know, houses that, that are lived in by good people and it rose over houses that are lived in by total jerks. And when the rain falls and fills Lake Overholster and Lake Hefner and Lake Draper and all these, you know, that water is a blessing to everybody. And that's what Jesus is saying. God is not partial in giving goodness to people. God's giving of goodness is not dependent upon our performance. He even does good to those who curse him. There's a temptation for us to write people off. Write off anybody that we deem to be toxic. Well, that person's toxic. I'm not going to have to do anything with them anymore. I'm super glad God isn't like that because I'm toxic to him. And instead of writing me off, he died for me and rose from the dead. Think about the sort of world in which, think about what the world would be like if Christians, if every Christian consistently treated those who are bad to us with kindness instead of getting angry and making sure they get what they deserve. Listen, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should just, if someone's constantly abusive to you, you should just always take it. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we can still wish somebody well, even if they're a terrible person. We can still do good on our part. Doesn't mean you have to have abusive people in your life and invite them to your table. In fact, there, there's, Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians that there are certain people we should, just shouldn't have meals with. But it doesn't mean we, we stop loving them, that we stop extending kindness to them, even when they're unkind to us. We are most like the world when we do good only to those who, who like us. But we are most like Jesus when we are kind to those who hate us. When we do good for people who don't deserve it. And the resurrection grants us power to be like Jesus and do good to people who don't deserve it. A third thing is that the resurrection grants us power for a greater righteousness. Let's look again at verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Even the Gentiles do the same. It's pretty clear what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, look, the worst people in society still love people who are just like them and who like them. And, and, and he says, even non-religious people, so even non-believers... They do the bare minimum, too. They at least love their family. I mean, most of the time, probably. Um, there are probably certain family members. <laughs> uh, but, but, but everybody can kind of do the bare minimum. You can like people who like you back, who think like you. But we're talking about a greater righteousness here. Now, several weeks back, we emphasized this saying of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about here, a greater righteousness. Because there there are those out there who will look at the very bare minimum that it requires to be considered a moral person by society and say, that's good, that's good enough. But they fail to realize the heart of God's law. It's not just about people thinking you're a decent person and looking good on the outside and being, you know, fairly moral. It's about being like God. It's being the the character of God beginning to come through us. And that takes us much further. And that's everything Jesus is talking about here. That's why he's saying, hey, you know, I mean, let's go back a little bit. He says, hey, if you, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, that's pretty much the same as murder. And, and he says, if you've lusted in your heart after a woman, that's the same as committing adultery. Because what he's saying is just physically committing an act of sin is not the whole picture. There's a heart behind it. And you might possess the heart behind it without ever doing any of the acts, but your heart's still broken. And he's calling us to something greater. You know what he's calling us to? The restored heart. Which becomes the place from which we do righteous deeds. If we find ourselves making excuses as to why we don't have to go all the way with being good to others. Or why we have to love only certain people. Then we've missed the point. I start making excuses as to why I don't have to be kind to that person. I'm sorry, he was just a real jerk to me. So I'm not going to be nice to him. I mean, did you see that guy? He cut me off on the highway. He deserved the bird. We've all done it. Come on. I mean, you know, but look, there's brokenness in us that runs really deep. And Jesus is calling up a greater righteousness out of us. And it is the pers- it's the people we were created by Christ to be. The fact that God's greater righteousness seems so out of place in our world only exposes how backwards and broken our world truly is. We've said this many times, but it's not the kingdom of heaven that's the upside-down world. It's this world that's the upside-down world. The kingdom of heaven is the right side up one. And so all these sayings of Jesus, they seem so backwards to the world. People hear it and they're just like, that's just weird. I can't love people who don't love me back. And when that's true in us, we're only exposing how far from the kingdom of God we actually are. But I want to encourage you with this. Christ through his resurrection, because, because he died on the cross and he killed the old sin nature. Paul even tells us in Romans that if we died with Christ, our sin nature is in the grave with him and our resurrected self is a new person. In, first, or in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're not the same person we used to be. So reality is if we're still living like the old person, it's because we haven't believed God and the fact that he said that we're a new person, we don't have to be that way anymore. I can tell the old person, you're dead. Say that in a little more forceful way. You dead. You're not getting back up again. I've been resurrected to new life in Christ The old me hung on the cross with Jesus and went into the tomb. But when I came up, that's what baptism symbolizes, by the way. I go under, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, washed clean by the water, but more symbolic of his blood that washes us clean. And we are raised to life with Jesus, a new life. Have you believed that? There, I believe there are probably people in this room right now who have believed the gospel. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe you're going to heaven someday because you believed because you believed this gospel. You believe that's true. You believe he died. You believe he rose. But you still haven't really believed that you can live a new life. You haven't fully embraced the life of the Holy Spirit that is a gift of yours in Christ and you don't know how you can overcome right now you got some sin pattern that just keeps coming back and the enemy the, the devil's accusing you and, and you and you just you feel this desire to go back into old sin patterns I want to encourage you if you've received Jesus you're free you don't have to go back there anymore you can say no and Paul even flat out said in Galatians chapter 5 if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is a new person in you. And it's like one of these plants it's growing. Someday you're going to have flowers. Jesus said, Good trees produce good fruit. And if you're one of his good trees, you were designed to produce good fruit, not bad fruit. You don't do that anymore. Doesn't mean we don't still struggle. But we have a new future, and he's called us to move towards that future. The power of the resurrection is the power to embrace these new things, this greater righteousness. And ultimately, the fourth thing I want to mention is it's the power to be a complete person. Look what he says in verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God's ultimate goal for you and me is for us to be like his son, Jesus. Jesus died to kill our sin nature so that we could be born into a new holy nature. And the person he created us to be will be a reality in us. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be mature. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to resemble his father and himself and the Holy Spirit, and our character, and our nature, and who we are. The resurrection empowers us to become the people that God always dreamed that we could be. Think about that. You know, God has a dream for you. God has a dream for you. And when He looks at you, He sees His Son, Jesus, and in all of His perfection, and all of His glory, and all of His obedience. And He says, That's what's possible for you through what Christ has done for you. I love that we don't serve a God who comes to us and says, well, hey, I just want you to be kind to people in your own strength. You need to to pick yourself up by your your own bootstraps and just be better. See, that's not what I'm saying here because that's not what the Bible says. What What are the scriptures telling us? Scriptures are telling us not that you need to work to be better, but that you are better in Christ and you're getting better and you're growing and growing. And the day is going to come when you actually will be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That day is going to come if you're in Christ. And our job is to trust God. Our job is to, to live in this resurrection power that we've been given and to move forward with him into this new future that we have I think part of the reason why the world often feels so empty is because we've just become so self-oriented and, and, and we're constantly holding people accountable for every little infraction and there's no peace. And God is a God of grace. So if we're like God, we're releasing people. We're not holding everything against people. We're doing for others what God has done for us. Sometimes that hurts, doesn't it? I mean, in order for Jesus to forgive me, it took a cross. And and understand that on that cross, it wasn't just about a bloody cross. It was Jesus experiencing the fullness of the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin and all the sins of the world. I, I like to think, I like to describe it this way. Jesus experienced an eternity in hell, what that would be like for every person who's ever lived in a matter of hours. And I don't understand what that would be like. I don't want to, and I'm thankful Jesus did it for me. And he did it for you. The power of the resurrection gives us the ability to do these things. To love hard people just like Jesus loved us when we were hard. To do good for those who don't deserve it just like Jesus did for us when we didn't deserve it. To have a greater righteousness just like Jesus. To truly love people and not just say it with our mouths. To do good for them and to be a complete person to be like the father content in who we are in him and those are really important things i think it's so important for us to not just look at the bloody cross and the empty tomb and think boy what nice things that god did for us what nice pictures of kindness Because it's possible for us to look at those as only religious symbols and for them to not impact our lives. But I want to remind you that that bloody cross was a real thing that happened in real time. And it was the real Son of God who hung on it. And the empty tomb was a real thing that happened in real time. And it was the real Son of God who walked out of that as the angels rolled the stone away. And he comes out and he proclaims victory over us who believe in him. We can be this kind of person because Christ has redeemed us to do so. I want to remind us before, as we close, that Jesus did only what he saw the Father doing. He says that in John chapter 5, 19. So then I want to ask the question, I think this is an application point for us, what is the Father doing today? The time's going to come for him to banish unrepentant enemies. That time is actually going to come. But today, the scriptures say, is the day of salvation. So what's our job? I want to encourage the Christians in the room real quick. Our, our job is not to do the job of judging sinners today. That's not our job yet. The day is coming, okay? If you read to the end, the day is coming. But our job is not to judge sinners today. We leave that in the Father's hands. He's going to do that in the future, and we're going to get to play a part. If you really like to judge people, just wait until the, until the last days, okay? Um, but also, your heart's going to be pure at that point, so you'll be able to judge with a pure heart instead of with all the hang-ups that you have today. Christ's resurrection means that we have new life in Him. And, and so, you know, we're not here to judge people. We're here to help people find that new life. I want to encourage us as believers with that. We're we're here to help people find new life in Christ because we have found that new life in Christ. And I believe with the Holy Spirit's help, we can join Christ on his mission to save as many people as possible on this side of heaven. Uh, And and the Lord gave me this this scripture I want to remind you of too. This is out of... uh, Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Verse 24, by the way. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Now Paul understood something. Paul wasn't saying the cross wasn't enough. But Paul understood that the cross of Christ did the work of of salvation for us, but now we have to do the legwork of getting the message to people so they can receive it. And so when we receive suffering, when we go through difficulty, when we are hated by people and we love them anyway, do you know what you're doing? You're carrying the reality of the affliction of Christ to new people. You're becoming a conduit for the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to flow through you into other people. And that's important. I want to ask all of us a question, whether you're a Christian or maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe, maybe you've never received Christ. What do you need from God today? Have you received this new life that we've been talking about? Those who have this new life, who's God sending you to? Who, who, who's God put on your heart right now who really needs to hear this message? Maybe they're a really hard person and God brought this message today because you need to be reminded that Jesus came to you while you were at your worst So there's somebody that you got to go to and they're the worst. But but they need you to carry the aroma of Jesus to them. He's called us to join him in this work. John said in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, after describing the resurrection, he said, Jesus performed many other things, in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe in Jesus, uh, that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he came. That's why he came. So that you'd believe in him and you'd have life. He died to free you from your sin. He rose so that you'd have life. Can I say that all who have received Christ have the power to live the life of Christ? Would you like to dive a little further into that today? I'm not gonna. I'm not meaning that I'm gonna preach longer. Um, what I'm saying is, now I'm I'm handing this over to you. Okay, this is like in football. A pastor's kind of like a kind of like a quarterback. We have a word, right? That God gave us but now we're tossing it over to you. This is yours now. Uh, I've delivered what God put on my heart. Now it's up to you to take it and complete it. This is going to become complete as we obey it. So I want to challenge, wherever you are today, whether you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you need to repent of some sin, maybe you've had a bad attitude towards somebody and you've seen in Christ, hey, he was so kind to me. I need to be kind to this person. I need to repent of the attitude I've had towards this other person or towards a political party or, or whatever it is. I'm only using politics because it's just so easy. Uh, I'm just low-hanging fruit, y'all, okay? Um, but I know that every one of us has something that probably the Spirit is dealing with us right now. So I want to give God that opportunity. So Pastor Dwight and Pastor Richard, would you, would you join me up here? And um, what we're going to do is we're going to just open up a time of prayer for repentance. And anybody, anybody who wants prayer, you can come pray. Um, there are others in the room. I know, you know, Gloria, she's she's a, one of our deaconesses. She's great at praying for people. Love to, Dennis we, and Susie, we'd love to have y'all pray for people. We, we've got people throughout the room who are gifted intercessors, um, so it doesn't just have to be one of the elders that you come to, but uh, we we um, Scott's one of our deacons. We'd love to, you know, he loves to pray for people, so there's a handful of people um, around the room, and so let's take a moment and just allow the Spirit to work in us. And I want to encourage you, if you really need to get right with God today, if you need to have someone pray for you, and maybe maybe you've had some sickness you want prayed for, don't miss the opportunity. It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day. Don't miss the opportunity to have something that has died in you be resurrected today by the power of the cross and the empty tomb. So we're just going to let it be silent in the Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.